0: Hi, this is J.D. Slackard, and you're listening to the FSF Popcast.
1: The show that reminds you that we weekly throw all of our dumbest ideas and thoughts out into the universe. You're welcome.
2: Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt in number 128. You'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Phoenix on a journey in discovering the light, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the red shirt widow's and orphan's fund has his back
1: and what's left of his library books. All right, so our guest today is an author of several books entitled Moonflower, Joining the Choir Invisible and his latest, Darling, You're Not Alone. He's a former college basketball player and hopefully at some point we'll get an explanation of what the heck a gaucho is, but we'll see. We are very excited to welcome JD Slackert to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, JD. Uh,
0: guys, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to be on the podcast with you both uh, this evening, but uh, just, you know, honored. Um, excited to dive into hopefully some fun topics and talk about the books and uh, about my sports background. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, let's just jump right into it. So, let's start off by talking about some of life experiences and, and journeys taken. Now, uh, through other interviews that I've seen of you, whether in video or in print, you've talked a lot about a young man named Luke Baden and your experiences with him, his family, the Luke Strong Foundation. So, how does that relationship A, affect you as a human, but B, in your profession as a writer?
0: Yeah, my goodness. I mean, I, it seems like for me, um you know, the real core essence of who I am as a person, uh, always goes back to Luke Bob and, uh, I really wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Had it not been for this incredibly brilliant, uh, young boy who just inspired my whole life. Um, and you know, I'm pretty open and uh, transparent with the fact that, you know, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, California, and, um, I was kind of a knucklehead student and I didn't really care about much anyone but myself when this girl came up to me after one of my high school basketball games so I was about 17 at the time and she came up to me and introduced herself and said hey my little brother is your biggest fan and he wants to play basketball with you and as I said I was a bit of a knucklehead so being that kind of uh cocky kid I was I sort of just looked at her and said sure like I'm sure there's a lot of people that want to meet me and play basketball with me you know I'll get around to it when I can Uh, and that was when she actually turned and said no JD it has to happen next week. And I asked her, why is it, why do I have to meet your little brother so soon? And that was when she looked at me and said, because my little brother is six years old, his name is Luke. And the last thing that he wants to do before he has to go into the hospital for a full year of isolation for a bone marrow transplant is meet you and play basketball with you. And oh, wow. yeah, I mean, and Luke had something called sickle cell disease, which at the time mm-hmm. I was very unfamiliar with, but as I, you know, came to become close with him and his Family, I got to learn uh, all about it and yeah Luke really changed my life and that moment when you know you think about this like think about being 17 and having someone say you know they're your biggest fan and that the last thing that they want to do before they go into the hospital is see you and meet you and uh, it it was incredibly humbling man I um ended up just sort of building this bond with Luke and I ended up going to the hospital and seeing him all the time and, uh, we had this incredible bond and friendship and he would like talk trash to me too about my games because <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Like he, cause he like knowing that he had gone to every single game, he was sort of aware of like how many points I'd scored, how well I'd played. And I'd sometimes talk to him about my games and he'd be like, yeah, well, if you hadn't missed that layup. You could add, you know, thirty points instead of twenty-eight. Yeah, <laughs> just this nappy personality that me and his family uh talk about to this day. But you know, Luke Luke's story would um, get better after he made it out of the hospital. So after he had his bone marrow transplant, uh, I committed to UC Santa Barbara and went on to play college basketball there after high school. Which for those of you maybe that geographically aren't as uh, aware of where I live, that's only about two hours away from where I grew up in L.A. Um, So Luke would go and commute with his family to my college games then. And really for the next three years, um, we just did everything together, celebrated birthdays together. Uh, We would get, his favorite food was pizza. So we'd get pizza together after all my games. And uh, he got to know all my college friends. And yeah, I mean, it was really just like a dream come true. And uh, I had my biggest fan with me and uh uh, tragically and you know it's obviously breaks my heart to this day um that only three years after his bone marrow transplant, now he was 10 years old uh, he passed away due to a stroke and complications from that procedure and uh yeah it was obviously just a completely heartbreaking and life-changing thing but you know i i sort of had that real shift as i spoke about kind of being that knucklehead kid into you know what like I need to do more with my life and i need to i need to put some passion into the things that i'm pursuing and going after and uh mm-hmm. it was only you know until after luke passed away that i decided to become a writer and that's when i sort of changed from this athlete into a author and um you know i'm doing everything i'm involved in today so so
1: did, did you have interest in writing be- <laughs> beforehand like while you were playing would you know cuz i know like with some writers we've talked to in the past for some there was a, there was a a time when they took a shift like you went from being an athlete to an author but there was some before that actual shift of lanes you know they would find themselves like you know like some artists before they came artists would doodle on notepads and stuff yeah sure <laughs> and some artists there's some writers rather would would write out little short stories here and there and you know did you find yourself doing that or was it just like one day uh, cause I'm, I'm, I asked this because, <laughs> right, exactly. Cause I'm the farthest <laughs> thing from, uh, I can write like functional pieces of information. Like uh-huh. if you need a, if you need a proposal written to somebody, yeah, I can do that. But something that's going to be engaging and entertaining. Right, um,
0: right, right, right.
1: Yeah. Pro- I'm probably not your guy for that. So I, you know, this, <laughs> that's why I asked, were you, a, were you a writer ahead of time or was it just kind of
0: there? You know, it's an interesting question and it's one that I think. I've only come to understand later in my career after having now written a second book um, because initially I think it was even shocking to me how naturally I fell into novel writing. I mean, I really did just go into full book. Like I hadn't written short stories or anything and I wasn't getting like great grades in my writing classes in college. And (laughs) I mean, I even, I wrote my first book while I was in college still. So I was like turning in essays and getting C's on them while I was like working on a novel, which was pretty, I, ironic, I guess I would say, um, <laughs> right? but to be, to, to, to really answer the question more directly though, is what happened was I was always writing letters to friends and I had this real kind of, uh, interest in taking the time to write handwritten notes to friends of mine pretty consistently, like for birthdays or, uh, when they were, you know, just, you know, holidays, I, I would write, I would spend time and write like a three page letter to every good friend in my orbit. christmas and i would deliver them and i never really thought that was uh interesting or odd or or different um until i had a really great friend who uh, was studying abroad and she actually was very close with luke as well and i used to write her letters all the time to update her on how he, he was doing and um it was strange man like i i almost found myself and i can i can as i like sit here and speak with you guys now. This is eight years ago. And I can imagine exactly where I would go to write these letters. And it was like the best day of my week was to sit down and write these two-page letters. And I uh, would write them so frequently that this girl was couldn't keep up with trying to respond uh, to all of them. And it was then that I almost just decided, like, maybe I should stop writing letters to so many people that I know <laughs> and uh, write a book. And pretty soon after that I did. And, uh, yeah, cool Instead of
2: writing individual letters. You're writing one big letter. Yeah. yeah one big letter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When well, I handwrite all my books and that's a big part of my, uh, process. Uh, and that's sort of what that was born out of. Right. So I started handwriting letters, uh, to all these friends and then, and, uh, yeah, my one long big letter was a handwritten <laughs> copy of a first draft of a novel. And yeah, it was 400 pages of just pencil and, uh, and paper. So in the foreword
1: of your book, does it say dedicated to all 'all?" (laughs) (laughs) y'all?
0: Well, what's funny is my first book, uh, I dedicated it to about 16 people and my editor was like, you know what? I've never really seen that done, but I, I suppose that's not, you know, there's no rule that says you can't do that. And I didn't really think that was odd until the book was released. And I saw it in my dedication page. was like, you know, the whole thing, <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, I was 22 years old. So I sure. think at that age, you're, you know, you got a pretty big friend group. You got to try to, uh, you know, make sure try everyone's happy. But yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I almost think it would be funny if an author literally like made this person, this person, but like had like a whole bunch of people to where like the entire book was
0: just like his thanks. Yeah. To- yeah. 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 Each it's person. like a, a five page book, but there's a 75 page. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I, I spent some time, I think I want to say after my, when I was looking to, for the dedication for my short story, joining the choir invisible, I actually did a little research on like the coolest ways to do acknowledgements of books. And I read some really fascinating ones. Like I, you know, I think it was James Joyce did one, one of his books. He had the acknowledgements was dialogue between him and a good friend. And just like, he just like stuck it right there as like the conversation that led to this idea for a book. Um, and I've, I've always actually, you know, a bit of an aside, taken a fascination in that. Like, I kind of love to think outside the box with the projects I create. And I would try to take advantage of the space of writing uh, in a way that's different than maybe other authors think about how to, like, I like to break the rules, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I think the acknowledgements page is a really free-flowing blank canvas as the author is allowed to put whatever they want. And in Moonflower, my first book, one of the last things that Luke ever said to me was to smile more. Um, He he used to always tell me, JD, if if I had all the problems that you had and I got to live your life, I would smile all the time. Like I would never complain. And so in the first page of Moonflower, it's entirely blank. Uh, But in the corner right, it just says smile more. And I say that in speeches that I give and talks, I go to high schools and things because man, is there really anything more important than to smile more and to remember how lucky each of us are. And, um, I feel like out of that entire book I wrote, that's the thing that sticks with people the most is just a little two words in the beginning. So I try to think about creative ways to, to, yeah, to sort of give the message I'm hoping to, uh, in a different way.
1: Very cool.
2: So speaking of your process, my father is an author as well and has written quite a few books himself, mostly in the science fiction realm. Very and, cool. Uh, that's one oh, of his books, go. Custodians of it. the Cosmos.
1: How did that get here? Oh, sorry. <laughs> love it, love
2: it. But uh, So I, I I understand like the wanderings of an author's mind and, and yeah, how they right. tend to work out when they uh, pound out a story. So in your process, Do you more often come up with the story idea first and then build the characters? Or do your characters are there and then build the story around your characters?
0: It's a good question. I've actually never thought of it like that. I think more often than not, I do think it's both to answer your question. I think more often than not though, the story idea comes first and then it's putting the characters into the world of which I'm creating. Like I know for Darling You're Not Alone, which uh, is a magical realism novel that I've just, you know, just came out a few weeks ago. Um, I definitely had the idea for the story before I planted the characters into this world that i would created. And that sort of was built on like, like one of the main points of the book was, you know, the main character Phoenix is 15 years old. And that was a very deliberate decision because I needed him to be able to be mobile throughout his city as a part of the plot. And that was something that I thought about a lot because initially when I had the idea for Darling You're Not Alone, I wanted him to be about 10 years old or nine years old because I loved that age. And I thought that was a really interesting, uh, kind of, kind of free, like, uh, sort of, there was a purity in that age where you don't really know the darkness of the world yet that I was hoping to create. But then as I thought about how I wanted to, uh, appease and attack the story of Darling You're Not Alone, I realized I didn't him to be older so it's like i think your characters shift depending on the limits with which you're building your story so uh, if that kind of mm-hmm. answers your question i think that's something i consider when you know coming up with a a book or, or anything like that
2: yeah i was listening to another uh, podcast that you're on and you talked about your process a little bit more how you literally like handwrite <laughs> your entire books and i got the thinking have you ever thought of using a digital pen
0: you know I, I mean look it's 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 always a sticking point with people when i talk to them about how i handwrite and <laughs> believe me like my team on my end like my editors and managers and publishers and you know that whole kind of back end side of the books really hate that i handwrite like they are on me non-stop <laughs> about They're like man you need to just do without that like we're in the year 2022 and like there are a lot of different ways you can do this. But I uh to be completely honest with you, that's my favorite part of this whole thing. I mean, I love that moment of, you know, I was I was actually just with a great friend last night, Niksha Federico. He's a up and coming author. He's releasing his new book uh in a few weeks. It's his debut, and I've been sort of mentoring him and I was joking with him about how really like my ideal scenario is being at a coffee shop, having that second or third espresso, no phone, no computer, blank page, pencil, and just almost taking in the sounds around me, um, without any, any way of interrupting my train of thought and letting that just creativity kind of, I don't know, blossom and and, and be un, unencumbered in terms of anywhere I can go. And you'd be, I mean, I don't know. It's very meditative. Like it's very um, it's very freeing for me in a way that it's both like healing, I guess, in my own world um, as like a therapeutic method. And it's also how I write. So, yeah, I think the digital pen, I mean, I guess I I could flirt with that concept, but I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to break up my uh, meditation. But oh, no,
2: like I think you can still write with the pen. It just (laughs) records the strokes.
0: That you make go, it go and it goes straight onto like a Microsoft Word or Yeah, like
2: into a digital format. So that way you don't have to take out your, your iPhone and
0: like Yeah, take, take the a photos. Of yeah, you, you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> that because that, that's step two. Step two right. is then I have to go to technology, take pictures of it, and then I upload them onto the screen and I translate, it, transfer them. Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe I've been. Uh,
2: I, I've been I haven't looked, at, looked into them that much, but I knew they existed. And I was just like, huh, that's a neat way you could.
0: Well, I'll tell you another, th- another, uh, you know, I maybe you heard this too, but another part of the process for me is I can, I can physically see my progress. And I think when I'm handwriting it, I can see pages nine, 10, 11, 12, and they're right there. Like I can physically touch them. And that's a big part, I think, of my motivation to keep going. I mean it kind of reminds me of like when you're in middle school and you, they say put the M&Ms on each paragraph you read. So as you go along you get like little little uh like rewards. That's almost like my way of doing that for myself is I can I can if any days I'm feeling like man, I I can't soldier on, I'm running out of energy or I'm tired, I can just look back and see, you know what? I'm 30 pages into a novel. Let's just get to 31 today and then 30 three tomorrow and 36 the next day and like that's sort of i don't know it's how my mind works and i, I don't want to mess with that but hey you do what you do whatever you need to do but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i won't i won't listen to them that keep telling me to stop i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna keep trying to let you know talk my way through it but
1: hey if that's if that's your creative process and that's how you you know you get the magic to happen you don't, you don't want to mess with that too much you know
0: that's that's the process We'll see. I uh, as long as I can continue to control my own universe here, I will be handwriting. But uh, there the the naysayers are out there for sure.
1: <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it is 2022. I I get the uh, especially on the technical side of things, going really, paper pen really is what we're doing. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. All right. So hey, JD, let's talk about the the book that you have the picture up behind you, darling. You're not alone. That's that's the newest, the latest, and greatest. So tell us about, you know, for our audience, tell us about the book. Uh, you know, what's the story, the basis behind it, how it came about, and what this latest offering means to you personally.
0: Yeah, man, it's uh it's it was a severe undertaking. It's a book that took me three years to write, uh, handwrite as well. <laughs> and it's a, a novel that is set in uh the year nineteen ninety nine in the small town of Darling, Colorado. And uh, the main character, who's our protagonist, who we follow through this story, his name is Phoenix Iver. And Phoenix is someone who is entering his first year at Darling High School, which is sort of the local high school that he, he, um, you know, can walk to and is sort of right in his neighborhood. And he's sort of going through like these very ritualistic happenings that we all can kind of relate to of being a high school freshman and meeting new people and and dealing with, um, you know like the town bully and and sort of the math class that maybe you should have signed up for the algebra one instead of algebra two. And it's just sort of uh, setting the stage of this landscape. But Phoenix is sort of someone that deals with a bit of darkness in his own life in a very personal way, being that he suffers from social anxiety and sort of like this depression. Because of this, he struggles to make friends and have uh, sort of the proper outlets in order to help him uh, acclimate to Darling but he has this incredible bond with his father named Herman and the thing about Herman that's very important is in the beginning of the story we learned that he used to be a police officer but for some reason he's no longer that and he's actually the security guard at Darling High School so he and Phoenix spend all this time together and walk to school together and Furman's sort of Phoenix's best friend but Phoenix is trying to follow sort of the mystery of what happened to his father and how he lost his job And why now this person who he sort of like revels in and looks up to and relies on is just a security guard at a high school. And that's a really tough thing for Phoenix to grapple with as like, kind of gives up on this world being like a magical place when just on the brink of discovering what actually happened to his father, he walks into the library at Darling high school. And instead of two students holding books that walk in behind him, they're holding handguns and Phoenix, endures and has to survive what at the time of the book is the worst school shooting in. US history. And Herman is very involved in the, you know, the saving of the kids and it's it's a very kind of obviously incredibly traumatic yet oddly timely with the world we're in now um, landscape. And then the remainder of the novel from that point, and I won't say too much about what happens next, is how Phoenix has to sort of not only deal with the sort of trauma he inherits in the beginning of the story, But he also has to then uh, move forward beyond, you know, suffering this catastrophic event. So Darling, You're Not Alone really is this examination of how do you how do you live on and and believe in the light in the world when all you've seen, known and felt is the dark? And Phoenix is the character that has to answer that uh, that that very question. Cool. All right. Yeah. And it's a, uh, look, I mean, it's, it's a book that uh, took a lot out of me to write. It's one that um, is a very intense read. And one that I think is, uh, is a powerful book being that it does approach like a very real topic, but I think it's one that's also very hopeful. And one that I think uh, anybody going out, you know, anybody out there dealing with maybe a tough time or is going through some sort of transition, because, you know, when I was sort of uh, building the story in my head, it sort of was like, I, I sort of had the back end of the book already figured out and you could almost sort of, uh, remove the, the tragedy of the first half, which is the school shooting and then substitute it with your own. Like, you know, I lost my home in a fire, uh, in 2019. And, you know, obviously I've lot as we spoke about, I lost my friend to sickle cell disease. And it's like, I think a lot of people no, my, you know the, the book is sort of about this idea that like that's sort of actually what connects all of us is we've all sort of dealt with something that seems completely just out of this world, uh, absurd and and terrible. Yet here we are, trying to put a smile on our faces every day and try to believe the world is a good place. And I really do think it is a good place. And this book is about that concept, and that's sort of where the title of "Darling, You're Not Alone." comes from is like, look, as, as terrible and as isolated as we feel in dealing with these things, that is actually when we're most connected is uh, trying to come together and heal each other and, and love each other, despite uh, maybe something that we've all all gone through. Yeah, well,
1: that's cool. I think I think it's nice when when books are able to help us deal with the actual realities of life around us, because this is a topic that we have to talk about from time to time, unfortunately. Um you know, I mean, just last night in the United States, there was the shooting in yeah. Virginia. Yep. Uh, and so having the opportunity to have, and, and fortunately for young adults to be able to have it uh, being written in a, in a, in a, a frame and a mindset that maybe that they're familiar with might be able to help them be able to navigate some of these discussions in their head. So I'm hoping that that book has, has that ability to have that outcome where it's, you know, able to help maybe shape mold some ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I just think uh, I think the best way to handle heavy topics sometimes is through this fictional element of where, you know, it, this, this, this event in this book actually never did happen. But it, it is a way for me to come on to your guys's broadcast and talk to your listeners about something that is actually happening often, unfortunately. And yeah, I'm um, is one of the reasons why I wrote this book was to, to give me the platform to hopefully try to help heal and you know bring bring a discussion to the table that is one I think is very important because uh, it's you know it's a really sad reality and I think that um one of the things I attempted to do with this book and this project is and and not to take away from anyone who is it was directly impacted by you know a school shooting but I think one of the things I wrote about in this project is like what about all of the people that are living in the town nearby or have a kid that, you know, had to, had to come home that night. That was, you know, maybe didn't, wasn't indirectly involved, but suffers from some sort of trauma later on or sure. the teachers and just the community as a whole that have to suffer these things. And um I do think like books are such a long and arduous and, and they take so much time to create that I don't really feel like, I'll ever be involved in a project unless it does have that real world impact and ability to hopefully make some good, uh, beyond the story. And that's something I'm very passionate about. You know, the other authors that I love like John Green, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like they do in their work. Um, you know, Mitch album is another, uh, writer that I try to model a lot of my style off of. And these are guys who, you know, approach heavy topics and, and do it in a way that, uh, uh, hopefully it ins- leaves you with a little more inspiration and um yeah I think it's uh it was a severe undertaking of course but it's one I took very seriously and like actually went and visited columbine high school and uh got to you know visit the columbine memorial and man I tell you the strength in that town and the people that I met in my travels there while I was writing this book it's it's uh it's amazing to see how much people can uh can uh deal with and and still remain positive and and talk about and learn from and um i don't know it's really inspiring in a way too as as terribly sad as it is as well but
2: yeah understood so speaking of entertainment and how everybody on the earth uses some form of entertainment to escape the reality of life and oftentimes in these forms of entertainment we see the light side we see the dark side and we even see the gray side and sometimes we can even empathize, empathize with the vil, the so-called villain in the yeah. story yeah so how do you or have you in the past used like storytelling or within your speech to entertain people and help them to see the light the dark and even the gray
0: yeah i think i i attempt to do that in a way where um i give i give a real long, longitudinal look at this space like i think It's like, I I think about with Luke, right? Like in the moment when I lost him and his family lost him, uh, we were devastated, obviously. And it was, I mean, you know, to have to bury someone that young is, is, is so heavy and so difficult, but Luke is the gift that continues to give now six years later. And I could now travel all over my hometown to his what was his elementary school what would have been his middle school and what would have been his high school and I give talks every year about the lessons he taught me the you know how he used to jab at me about my jump shot being you know not as good as my teammates and how much (laughs) he loved pepperoni pizza and it's like in some ways Luke has never been more alive now in 2022 than he's ever been and he is so well known and has created such a movement of good that it's, in, it's, in, it's empowering. And I, that's something I t- speak with his mom about who I talk to almost every day. And she's sending me texts like, Hey, good luck in your interview tonight, you know, with SFF, FFSF podcast. And I'm like, thank you. You know, and it's, 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 I think when you, you know, to answer your question, like, I think when you look at it in such a long-term way, it's, it is beautiful. Sometimes what can come out of tragedy and, um, you know, Luke's family went on to found the Luke strong foundation, which is a registered 501c3 nonprofit that supports children diagnosed with sickle cell disease so we're actually out there meeting other we call other loops and and giving back and trying to make a difference in this illness that is severely underfunded and um you know wow how much beautiful how many beautiful things could have been kind of bloomed out of this tragedy and um i think i try to share that with people is like look it may not feel like it now but someday maybe there's something good can come from this and I forget where i heard this quote but the quote and you know it sort of encapsulates this idea i'm trying to create is when something bad happens to you instead of saying why did this happen to me instead ask yourself why did this happen for me and it's just Mm -hmm. changing your perspective and thinking about how right how you you know can take maybe what seems like a terrible thing and turn it into a good one absolutely
1: and that's i think that's awesome that you you see that and you look at ways that you can flip that perspective. Right. That's always good. We call it in my family, we call it looking for the silver lining. I have a, chron- yeah. a chronically ill daughter. So we're always looking for ways to, you know, find the silver lining in whatever it is that's going on. Because, you know, if you don't find that, it's it's going to be – life's already difficult. Uh, you know, no, yeah. it, whether you're, you're uh, pristinely healthy or not. Uh, so, yeah if you can find the silver lining in things, it's going to make life a little bit easier.
0: Uh, and we all can do a better job of that. And we all fall out of that too. Like, I think sometimes we can forget uh, how great we really have it or how lucky we are. Uh, and, but it's, these reminders. It's, and and I think, you know, to tie it all in, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with the books I write is like almost give this sort of a uh, little nudge, like, Hey, smile more, you know, don't don't think about, you know, how bad you have it when you really are lucky. And I think that's sort of Phoenix's journey through darling, you're not alone is like his idea of trying to search for that in a very honest way, where in the beginning of the book, he feels like the world is just coming down on him. And by the end of it, I like to think that he sees exactly what we're talking about. So
1: fair enough. Okay. And now a word from our sponsor. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300, he'll get you noticed. Welcome back to the FSF podcast. All right, JD, let's talk about basketball and writing. So, these two things <laughs> may not- My two favorite ex-
0: things, and coffee.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah, you got me on the third one, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know many, many people may look at your your life course and and, and say well these two things they, they don't go well together <laughs> uh, basketball and writing, being an athlete and being an author but these are both parts of your personality at this stage in your life. So how does one uh, you know because I, I look at being an athlete and the training and dedication and hard work that goes into being an athlete, especially at the collegiate level. How does all of that translate into helping you be?
0: An author? It's a great question, Tim. I uh my athlete side of me is uh kind of comes out in in here and there and I uh I probably suppress it a lot, but I think it is still very alive in my competitive nature. But I think um the best way I can answer that is, you know, I think most people that maybe see my career and, and where I ended up and my end result um probably assume. Like, oh, you know, I was always sort of this, like, you know, well-recruited dominant player from Southern California where I, you know, was very successful. And I actually really don't remember my career being like that at all. And I remember being this sort of undersized redhead who was just, you know, had allergies and, and, and was on the last, you know, last guy on the team and uh, was just love the game. And, um, I, I remember those days a lot of just falling in love with, uh, being, being in around a group of guys that I loved and cared about and wanting to win no matter what position I was in. And I think that idea and mentality is what led me to, um, writing and my, and my idea of loving the sort of, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just write every day. And, and, and no matter what terrible reviews you get, which I get plenty of those too. I mean, there's so much sort of that, that does mesh with my writing and athletic career in that way that you have to be very bullheaded and sort of just power on no matter what. Uh, and that, that's a really important skill I think as a writer to take on because not everyone's going to like what you write and you have to, you have to just, you can't let that affect your style or the way with which you write. And, uh, you know, no matter, no matter how many people tell me to hand write, I'll never stop that. So it's like <laughs> that's that sort of stubborn athlete in me, I think. And um I like to think too that there's so much, I wouldn't say on the fly, but I guess I would say sort of flow flow state you get into as a player where you can do all the prep you want and go through all the game plans and do all the practicing. But the minute that game starts and that ball goes up, it's you and the person in front of you and you gotta, you gotta read and react. And um, writing is very similar to like you could have the best outline and the best idea. But the second you get onto that page, you got to fill it in from one to 365. And that flow state, I actually feel very similar to as when I'm playing in a game versus when I'm writing a book, I feel like they're the same type of thought. Like you almost just sort of, uh, go to another place. And, um, yeah, I think that that's how I sort of feel like they, they bridge, uh, in my two past lives into one.
1: So, so like in sports, you have to stretch and do all these things before you get ready to play. Do you like do finger exercises (laughs) to keep, you know, from hand cramping?
0: (laughs) You know what's funny, man, the way you're, the way you guys are ribbing me right now, which I love it is that's like exactly how my, my former teammates are. They're like, you know, Hey, did you pull, you know, did you pull your wrist muscle today while you were right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. And they like love to just throw, like I was with a former teammate of mine last night and uh, he was laughing about it. He's like, man, I would have never put you as the guy to write books from our basketball team. And uh, no, it's uh it's funny, man. I love it. I, uh, well, cause what's, what's cool too about that, Tim is like, I like, I'm very open about the fact that had I not had a really, I call my a really loud, 100 people in my early part of my career I would not be where I'm at now and that those a lot of those people were my basketball sort of family I would say mm-hmm. so all those guys are like they were the ones going out handing out copies of my first book saying hey like go buy this go buy this go follow them, go you know write a review and uh man I owe the, I owe everything to my teammates and my basketball family but I mean to get ready to write every day I actually have a record player that I listen to every morning um nice. and i it's bonnie Vare for Emma forever ago i listen to that yeah. album yeah. every day and nice. um that's sort of like my meditative getting into my flow state uh i do a lot of hot yoga as well so I, i've got i've got all my little rituals that i do before have you tried I write. cold yoga no i've not Neither have I. Just... <laughs> maybe maybe that's the michigan i'm i'm in the southern california uh yeah in, in right michigan, in we, michigan we just walk world. outside now so yeah it was 60 degrees today and i was pretty
1: cold so i have some words i'd like to share with you but i didn't share those on our webs on our podcast so
2: oh, i was uh. gonna say did you pull, pull a bicep lifting your notebooks
0: yeah. <laughs> well look I, I should get a little bit of cred from you guys because i actually did at one point live in new hampshire uh and uh, phillips exeter i went to boarding school and that was pretty north and that was pretty cold but that was only for about nine months, so I came right back to the uh, warm winter. <laughs> and
1: screw this, I'm going home.
0: Yeah. All right. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> hey, fair enough. I've tried to move out of the, uh, out of the winter states myself. Um, my wife said no, so we're still here. So love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so we all get to where we are in
2: life because of the world around us. Either the way we are shaped by circumstances, or the assistance from family and friends. But so one way that we receive assistance is through advice and encouragement. Usually, when it's given, when it's needed most, or twenty twenty, or. Not that 2020. I meant like hindsight is 2020. But oh right, no, right. we needed it in 2022. <laughs> <don't> <laughs> <I worry. too. laughs> yeah, we sure did. We uh, sure did. What is one piece of advice that you received that you would like to get the next generation of authors to have as well, besides smile more?
0: Yeah, it's a great. It's a great uh, concept. Let me let me let me try to think. I um, I think what I would say my biggest piece of advice is no matter how like. If you, if you feel like there's a book inside you and you really want to write it and you feel sort of this desire to uh, put it put it into the world, don't let the discouragement of your, really truly your own inner voice uh, take that away from you. And especially when you write that first draft and you feel like it's terrible and it doesn't match anything that you initially set out to do, I'd say that's a very normal and, uh, just a part of what it, the process it takes to write a book and you have to be willing to work through bad draft after bad draft, after not so bad draft after a little bit less, worse draft and to wait, this is actually decent and that takes time and you just have to be persistent with it. Um, so I would say, don't let that discourage you and, and, and be okay. And like, you know, 50% of people that sit down and write a book can't finish a first draft. So if you overcome, and even if it's a terrible first draft, you've already, you're already well on your way and you can make it better and get it into the right hands and have great editors and great people that slowly over time, and you just have to be persistent. So my advice would be just to continue to, to fight through maybe that discouraging first draft, because it does get better as you move along. Mm-hmm. Very
1: good. Nice advice. All right, JD, one last question. We like to call it our silly question. Uh, and don't worry, there's absolutely positively <laughs> no way that you won't piss somebody off with the year answer.
0: Cool.
1: <laughs> uh, but we are a nerd and pop culture show, so we have to know which side of the aisle your nerd flag flies on. Are you Star Wars, Star Trek, or Stargate? Which one and why?
0: So what's funny is I did a bit of research on you guys before I hopped on and I actually was getting prepped in my little pre-interview kind of, you know, while I was listening to my album, uh, my record player, I was, I was getting prepared. So my dad, who is like one of my best friends in real life too, uh, is a huge Star Trek fan. So- okay. I'm not even going to go against him in any way and I'm just going to say Star Trek. Um but I have to I have to be completely honest with you. My knowledge about any of the three shows you just named is minimal, but I just go with Star Trek being that. That's my dad and I got to stay with him. Um so yeah, there's my there's my answer for you.
1: Fair enough. The Star Trek fans love you. The Star Wars and Stargate fans hate yeah. you. So don't worry about it. You got it. there. Star Trek's a big universe. You'll have a lot of fans cool. over there buying your book. Cool. So it'll be cool. fine. And, and the Firefly fans are just. They're just more. disappointed that there wasn't a complete first season. So.
0: <laughs> well, look, I, uh, Star Trek is, uh, very important to my father. My father is very important to me. Therefore, Star Trek and I, we really, we really have a bond like that. Great and, answer. uh, yeah. That's where that's where that's where JD Slacker lies. I'm I'm happy to uh, uh, I'm happy to stay on that team.
2: There you go. So because Ensign Kim never gets a promotion, you and your father have a great relationship. <laughs> there you oh,
0: go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's 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 uh he's steered me right in many more ways than I I've steered myself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna follow his lead on that.
2: I feel like that was a whole lot funnier to people who enjoy Star Trek, but. <laughs>
0: Maybe if, look, we got to get my dad on the show. He would have a great time (laughs) talking about Star Trek with you guys. Trust me. I might even just try to find him, you know, soon and invite him in here. But
2: Well, JD, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your upcoming works? And where can they go to help support the Luke Strong Foundation?
0: yeah for sure so for the luke strong foundation you can go to www.lukestrong.org uh there there's tons of information on how to donate be involved uh, and help out and uh, yeah it's i mean it's incredibly uh giving and uh amazing charity and i'm also a part of i'm a director of relationship development for the luke strong foundation so you can read more about that there uh for more information on me and my books please visit jd wright's book Books.com, uh, where you can there purchase my any of my books, Moonflower, Joining the Choir Invisible, or Darling, You're Not Alone. Uh, all of those books are also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever you can find books at. Um, and for the, more information specifically on Darling, You're Not Alone, uh, please visit Darling, You're Alone.com, where there's more information about this letter writing campaign that also accompanies the book, uh, and there's a way for us to sort of interact. And I can sort of, you know, you can upload your own letter that you write. And there's a whole letter writing kind of concept and movement we're starting with that. Uh, and then for my publisher's website, www.summerhousepublishing.co for more information there. And then on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at JD underscore slacker. Throw me a follow, interact with me, tell me what you like about the book, talk to me about Star Trek, and maybe educate me on that, whatever you guys are into. <laughs> uh, find me there, man. But I, uh, honored to be on the show guys you guys are amazing and uh the fsf podcast is uh where it's at so
2: thanks man excellent and that is luke luc
1: not L U. yeah yeah
0: luc strong yeah luke yep all right
1: cool we want to remind everyone that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help ensure that we get more amazing guests like J.D. Slackert here today so we can have these funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps well more than we'll ever really be able to tell you. And be sure to go check out J.D.'s work as well. And please go check out the Luke Strong Foundation uh, that they're doing some amazing work over there for a disease that still needs a lot of help uh, for people to be able to have a healthy and happy life. But if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, JD's editor. He found out that we do all our writing in pencil as well. The editor is out there looking for errors and issues, and what better than a podcasting troupe that specializes in errors and issues that need to be edited out. We really are an editor's dream. Or nightmare. Either way, they're both dreams. So just send two copies of your complaint form. The editor will make sure that our mistakes are stricken from the record and that we are highlighted for the mistakes that we are. Don't worry. Although we're used to hearing and used to bearing the burden of our own embarrassments, it will be different when it's brought to you by a professional. Or at least that's what we're hoping. Well, thanks again, J.D.
0: That was wonderful, guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you for having me. I hope all the listeners out there loved it. And, uh, yeah, check out the books. Let me know what you think.
1: Will do. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for the FSF Popcast. Goodbye. Ciao. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF Popcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Popcast. Or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.